previously on The Dropout. Executives from Theranos' biggest clients, Walgreens and Safeway, testified about their multi-million dollar deals with the blood testing startup. Their own team members describing how they forged ahead, even when they saw red flags. There was just several questions that we would ask that neither Sonny nor Elizabeth could respond to. It was something that people wanted it to be real so badly that they were willing to kind of take people's word for some of this stuff. And we heard from Sonny Balwani's dermatologist of 15 years, who would surprisingly come to serve as Theranos' lab director. With Dr. Dewan, everything starts turning upside down, really, because he's Sonny Balwani's dermatologist, and it's the government putting another piece on that at this point, Theranos is running out of time, running out of money, and is trying to push forward anyway. This week, we heard from one of Elizabeth's brother Christian's fraternity buddies from Duke. He held a high-ranking position at Theranos, interacting with VIP investors, board members, military officials, and business partners as Elizabeth's lead of strategic operations. We now see Elizabeth Holmes bring in the best friend of her brother to be essentially the person who implements all her programs at a very high level. And so we're seeing an evolution from trying to bring in the best and the brightest to possibly bringing in those who would demonstrate loyalty to the company and to them individually. And more drama from the jury pool when a third juror is dismissed. The cause? Busted for playing the puzzle game Sudoku during witness testimony. From ABC Audio, this is The Dropout, Elizabeth Holmes on trial. Rebecca Jarvis is out this week. I'm Elizabeth Schulze, filling in to tell you the latest on what The Dropout team's uncovered. Here's episode 10, The Therabros. If we've learned anything about Theranos during the course of this trial, it's that the inner workings there were never dull. Elizabeth was, of course, running the company, alongside her then-boyfriend and COO, Sonny Balwani. And this week, we got a peek into how things at Theranos could be at times a full-on family affair. Right around the time of the Walgreens deal in 2011, Elizabeth hired her brother Christian Holmes as Associate Director of Product Management. He'd graduated from Duke University just two years before. Here he is during a 2017 deposition for a civil lawsuit brought by investors against Theranos. How did you come to become employed at Theranos? I heard of the company through my sister, obviously, and um, at the time was not looking for a job. She called me and spoke about an opportunity, which I agreed to. In turn, he recruited a number of his Duke fraternity brothers to join him at his sister's company. Six members of Delta Tau Delta Duke chapter all worked at Theranos together. Yes, and probably more. People are recruited heavily from Duke and large percentage of the undergraduate population is in Greek life. One of those recruits was public policy major Dan Edlin. Here he is being deposed in a separate 2018 civil suit. Where did you go to college? Duke University. Now, you came to the company because you knew Christian Holmes, who was your fraternity brother at Duke, correct? Correct. Uh, And he reached out to you to join the company, correct? Correct. 
Edlin told the court he worked at Theranos for five years, from September 2011 through December 2016. He started out as a senior product manager and ultimately came to serve as Elizabeth's lead of strategic operations. Tell me what your responsibilities were as senior product manager. The main responsibility when I started was to plan the operations of the work with Walgreens. And once that partnership got off the ground, I also worked with a marketing agency around the rebranding of the company. And beyond that, supporting you know, potential business partners and relationships to the company. Edlin and his friends would come to be known by some around the company as the Therabros. It just felt like they were a group and they needed a group name. So I came up with Therabros because it was a play on words. That's Mike Pedito, an account exec at Shyat Day, the legendary ad company behind Apple's most famous campaigns. Pedito worked closely with the Duke crew when his team was hired to design the Theranos website and advertising materials for the Walgreens launch. When we found out that they were all frat brothers, it, you know, it's, it was funny. But then we found out that they lived in the same house <laughs> together, too, and that there were other Duke fraternity brothers that, that lived together. And I was like, oh, there's how many more Therabros are there? I kind of even did a logo version of the wordmark logo that we had created for them that said Therabros. And Pedito says the guys embraced the moniker. They had a good good humor about it. They had a good reaction to it. I, I think they found it amusing. Pedito says Edlin in particular was good-natured and easy to deal with. Dan is very even-keeled. You know, good personality, fun guy, could be business serious, but still have a positive, fun, upbeat approach to everything. During his time at Theranos, Edlin was chummy with Elizabeth as well telling the court he'd often dine with her and Sonny. Did you ever have the opportunity to spend time with them socially outside of the office? Prosecutor John Bostick asked. Yes, on some occasions, Elizabeth invited Christian and myself and other members of the project management team to Sonny's house for dinner, Edlin testified. And was Miss Holmes living with Mr. Balwani at the time? Bostick asked. Yes, Edlin said, adding the dinners were relaxed and social. While Edlin testified that he and others knew of Elizabeth and Sonny's romantic relationship, Pedito said it came as a complete surprise to the marketing team. I would have in a million years never guessed that Sonny and Elizabeth were dating. Like if I had a million guesses, it just wouldn't, wouldn't have happened because you never saw any inkling of what their personal life was like. Beyond the socializing, Edlin testified that he and Elizabeth worked very closely together as well. While Edlin reported to Christian Holmes in his first few years at the company, he testified that in his latter years, he reported directly to Elizabeth, speaking with her daily. She was in the office all the time, really, he testified, from early morning to late in the evening, including on weekends. Elizabeth even showed up to Dan Edlin's deposition when attorney Reed Cathrine questioned him in 2018 for that civil suit. You know Elizabeth Holmes is sitting here in the room today, correct? Correct. Uh, is that making you uncomfortable? No. Are you able to answer honestly even with her in the room? Yes. Are you able to answer fully even with her in the room? Yes. 
Catherine spoke to the dropout team about the experience for season one. She shows up for Dan's deposition, which told me that Dan was more important than I had thought. I think it is a, an intimidation tactic. I would ask him if, if he was uncomfortable, and Dad would say, oh, no, I'm fine. And then I would watch her go into the room during breaks and sit with the attorneys and point to the documents I had put in front of Dan and, you know, very animated, very animated, very sure of herself. I'm sure she was telling them, you know, you got to go after this or you got to go after this or this is wrong. Very confident. This week, Edlin testified again, this time for two full days after beginning his testimony last Friday. Once again, Elizabeth watched him closely as he was being questioned under oath. Santa Clara University law professor Ellen Kreitzberg was in the courtroom and says Edlin looked visibly uncomfortable. He appeared to be very honest, if not incredibly reluctant to have to be there. Uh, He seemed to provide the information honestly as it came across on the stand, but he wasn't going to offer the government anything more than exactly what they were asking. I think he would have been very happy to be very far away from this courtroom last week. As we've heard, one of the many tasks Edlund was assigned throughout his time at Theranos was to deal with Mike Pedito and the Shia Day advertising team. He worked on this assignment alongside other Thera Bros, Christian Holmes and Jeff Blickman. I would talk to those guys every day, multiple times a day. I like dealing with them. I thought they were, you know, the best people in there. Dan, Christian and Jeff were the day-to-day contacts. But when it came to high-level decisions, Pedito says one person was clearly calling the shots. That was the Elizabeth show. That's when Elizabeth's opinion was the only one that mattered. It's a point the defense is constantly trying to disprove, but Edlin seemed to corroborate Mike Pedito's assessment. He testified that Elizabeth worked closely with the marketing agencies and the personnel to discuss the vision and strategy for the content. When it came to the website specifically, was Ms. Holmes involved in creating, reviewing, and approving the content? Prosecutor Bostic asked. Yes, Edlin replied, adding that Elizabeth was very detail-oriented. Pedito and his Shiat Day colleagues were very focused on the details as well, for good reason. Anytime you put out claims in any advertising industry, you can't just say whatever you want. You have to be able to legally prove it because you can be accountable. The agency can be accountable. Theranos had provided major claims to the Shiat Day team to use on their website, brochures, and other materials. But before anything could be published, all claims needed to be legally vetted and confirmed by the Theranos team. I had ad nauseum conversations that was like, you need to run this by your legal team because I can't tell you if you can prove that all of the tests are run on one single drop. I can tell you that you need to prove that, but you need to tell me and show me evidence that you can do it. Pedito grew nervous when the answers simply didn't come. I had those conversations with him endlessly, so many times, and it was, yeah, we're getting on it. We're, yeah, okay, yeah. And, and, and it seemed like he understood that they needed to do it, but it just didn't happen. He said it came down to the wire. We got their legal feedback the night before the website was going to launch, and it wasn't minor feedback. It was major feedback. We spent three hours in the conference room on the phone going through line by line of, okay, this needs to change. This needs to change. I mean, one of the biggest was like, welcome to 
revolution in lab testing became Welcome to Theranos. And it was like, that's pretty significant. And when lawyers make those changes, it's like, well, we're making this dramatic claim and then you changed it to just welcome to us. The government raised the issue of the verifications in court, pointing out an email from a Theranos in-house attorney on September 6, 2013, just three days before the Walgreens launch. Bostick read out many of the specific points in question, showing that the lawyer was requesting Theranos water down many of their extravagant claims. Please remove references to all tests and replace with statements such as multiple or several, the attorney asks. Replace full range with broad range. Replace faster and easier with fast and easy. And replace highest quality with high quality. He then said to remove the words unrivaled accuracy altogether. Bostick pointed out that in emails with Elizabeth, Edlin suggested some alternate language that would presumably satisfy the lawyers, saying, you respond with what you say are some suggestions instead of unrivaled accuracy. Do you see that? Yes, Edlin replied. In emails, the company lawyer also asked for proof that Theranos could provide results faster than previously possible and for backup data that Theranos could perform lab tests on a sample one one-thousandth the size of a typical blood draw. This proof never came, according to Pedido. Instead, a disclaimer was added, stating, occasionally a venipuncture may be required based on the lab order. Pedido says at this point, he was just relieved when the modified language finally came in. When you have several months asking for proof of something and someone doesn't provide it, you start to get skeptical on if something is actually true. I was more relieved that they actually did it and they finally did it because it was like, I've been asking you to do this for months and it finally happened. Thank God it finally happened. The website with all the last minute changes would go live the night before the Walgreens launch. But prosecutor Bostick pointed out that while the problematic language was removed from the website, it started to pop up in other places, despite the specific warnings from the lawyer. He drew the court's attention to articles by Joseph Rago from the Wall Street Journal and Roger Parloff of Fortune magazine. Bostick noted that the Rago article was printed just two days after the lawyer's email. Yet, as he pointed out, both contained the misleading language that the Theranos lawyer had flagged. One claim read Theranos' processes are faster, cheaper, and more accurate than the conventional methods and require only microscopic blood volumes. Bostick then presented an email that showed Elizabeth was given a draft of Rago's article to review before it was published. She'd seen the misleading stats and gave him the green light to go forward with the claims anyway. And it wouldn't stop there. Hey, this is Brad Milkey. I host ABC's daily news podcast, Start Here. The Dropout will be back in a minute. But first... Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. 
Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to invite you to start your day with us. Every morning on Start Here, we dive deep into the biggest news stories with some of the best journalists in the world. It's smart, it's relevant, and maybe most importantly for you, it's quick. Again, that's Start Here, the daily podcast from ABC News. Available wherever you listen. The problematic language continued to come up in other places, this time in information provided to prospective Theranos investors. Edlin testified that he was sometimes asked to prepare investor binders with information about Theranos, including those articles with the exaggerated stats. One binder was sent to Rupert Murdoch, the media titan and chairman of News Corp. Edlin testified that Elizabeth herself would provide an approved list of items and he would compile the binders accordingly, giving them back to Elizabeth to review. Once I compiled those binders, Elizabeth asked to review them. And once they were reviewed and approved, on some occasions I would send those out to investors, he said. In her 2017 SEC deposition, in contrast to Edlin's testimony, Elizabeth said she couldn't recall reviewing these materials. Did you review the binder of documents that Theranos sent to Mr. Murdoch ahead of his investment? I don't know that I reviewed it before invested. So if you look halfway down the page, there's a text message from you to Mr. Balwani. Do you see that? It says, are there any materials in the binders you think should be removed for Murdoch slash News Corp? Do you see that text message? I do. So does this refresh your recollection that you would have reviewed Mr. Murdoch's binder before you sent it out? No, I don't have memory of doing that. Rupert Murdoch would come to invest $125 million in Theranos, becoming its largest single investor. Even if Elizabeth tried to distance herself from the information being handed out to investors, law professor Ellen Kreitzberg said Edlin's testimony undercut this considerably. Although Edlin was the one who put it together and sent it to the investors, he was quite clear that he did not send anything out to investors that was not previously reviewed and authorized and okayed by Elizabeth Holmes. So he's one of the first witnesses that links her directly to this dissemination of misinformation because his contact was with her directly and not through intermediaries and not really through Sonny Balwani. Edlin testified to another of his key roles at Theranos, arranging tours and demos for high-profile visitors at the labs as he described in his 2018 deposition. As best you recall, who were these demonstrations for? People who came to the company to meet with executives. Partners, potential partners, friends, investors. So if I learned that there was a meeting, I would check 
usually with Elizabeth, to see if a demo was needed, in which case I would notify a team of the potential meeting time so that they were basically on call to perform the demonstration in a timely fashion. One of those investors was, again, Rupert Murdoch. He came to the Theranos lab in January 2015 and had his blood drawn to test out the Theranos technology, according to emails presented in court. But the day after, a Theranos scientist emailed Murdoch's blood test results to Edlin and others with a problem. The results hadn't come in accurately because some of the values were too high and some too low. He went on to say, we have no sample for rerun since it was a short draw, meaning the finger stick sample was too small to run the test again. This was, by the way, long after such tests were being run on patients at Walgreens. Prosecutor Bostic asked Edlin, at this point for approximately how long had Theranos been performing clinical patient testing? A year and change? Yes, Edlin replied. Bostic read aloud an email that Elizabeth had written to Murdoch after this test, a period when Murdoch was still considering an investment in the company. It was wonderful to have you here today. I so look forward to the opportunity to continue our conversations including one day, a more detailed conversation on China. It would be an honor to have you as part of our company, Elizabeth wrote. Mr. Murdoch's response to Holmes, thanks, Elizabeth, enjoyed every minute of it. Any blood results? It's unclear if and when he ever received them. In another example of a VIP demo gone awry, Bostic shows emails between Edlin, Elizabeth, Christian, and a Theranos scientist regarding results for a doctor who was invited to compare finger stick to venous draws. Theranos scientists were unable to run basic tests on him due to contamination of the sample during processing. But Edlin confirmed the scientist explicitly stated that it was not due to any human error. When Edlin and the team asked Elizabeth how to relay this information to the visitor, her response was to tell them, you can say we do run those assays, but we're not able to run them on this sample, apparently due to a human error in the sample handling, a direct contradiction to what the scientist had indicated. Do you recall that we just read a portion of the email where it was reported that the contamination was not due to any human error, Bostic asked. I do recall that, Edlin testified. When it came to giving tours to VIPs, Edlin said that he was instructed to steer them away from certain parts of the lab. I recall that in advance of a tour, there would be certain areas of some of the labs that were hidden by a partition, oftentimes areas where there were Theranos devices, to make sure that whoever was on the tour couldn't see them, he said. Additionally, he testified that there would be staging in the rooms where technology demonstrations were given. In one instance, Edlin testified that he was to set up three next-generation Theranos devices, machines that didn't actually process samples. To your knowledge, were these next-gen devices ever used by Theranos in actual clinical patient testing? Bostic asked. Not to my knowledge, Edlin replied. The prosecution also brought up the fact that when VIP visitors were brought in, they would use a demo app that had been specifically programmed to not show an error message on screen when the device didn't process a test correctly. 
Edlin told the court that during the demo, if an error occurred, the app would not say so on the screen. It would not express that an error had taken place. Bostick referenced an email exchange between Edlin and others as they were preparing for one such VIP demo on August 13, 2013. Lead Theranos scientist Daniel Young told the group that the machines would not be ready, and so it was decided that the demo app would be used, ensuring that if an error were to occur, an error message would never actually be seen by the visitor. Here's law professor Ellen Kreitzberg again. The government is showing the intentionality with respect to hiding information and therefore providing misleading information to people who were seeing the demo, whether they were investors or hospitals uh, or doctor's representatives trying to evaluate the machine. And it's that kind of intentionality. They created it for that purpose. It was done with that purpose. And the person watching the demo was not advised of it. And finally, Bostick asked Edlin about his involvement in communications with the military and the Department of Defense, something Edlin also talked about in his 2018 deposition. You were involved in proposals for the Department of Defense, correct? There was sharing of information and discussions about potential possible use in an infield setting or for a number of different use cases. By that, you mean having the Theranos device in the field or in the war zone? That was discussed. Edlin told the court that he worked directly with Elizabeth to support Theranos's military relationships and that when it came to communications with them, Elizabeth was highly involved. He said he would discuss any military correspondence with Elizabeth ahead of time and would send her email drafts for her to review before sending anything out. Bostick read from one such memo, which claimed that each Theranos device can run every test currently available through the traditional centralized or hospital laboratory infrastructure. It went on to say that this point-of-service device could generate real-time data from a finger stick of blood, delivering higher quality data than previously possible. Why would this matter to the military? Bostick asked. They wanted one device to do all its testing, Edlin replied. I was told our device was smaller and more portable. Of course, despite the many claims and meetings with the military, the prosecution went on to show that Theranos devices would never be used in the field and that the single point-of-care device did not exist as advertised. The partnership would ultimately dissolve, as Edlin testified in his 2018 civil suit deposition. What happened with the relationships with the DOD? Did they ever go forward? They stopped at, at some point because there was no you know, realistic path forward with them. Here's law professor Ellen Kreitzberg again. All of these discussions, although many were conducted by Mr. Edlin, they all went through Elizabeth Holmes. One thing he testified to that was very clear is that the military wanted one device and that's what was so appealing about Theranos, that it was better, smaller, cheaper, and it was one device. And so if all Theranos could manage was testing by using a third-party machine, the military would not have been interested at all. And so that representation, that failure to let the military know their use of third-party machines becomes a critical material fact in keeping the military interested under what the government's going to allege is a false premise. 
Bostick wrapped up his questioning by asking Edlin who had generally been in charge when it came to Elizabeth and Sonny. Did they operate from what you saw as co-equals in the company with the same level of authority, or was one in charge compared to the other? Bostick asked. Edlin testified that in meetings, Sonny would defer to Elizabeth on certain things, and that generally Elizabeth was the CEO, and that she had the final decision-making authority. Ellen Kreitzberg thought that was particularly impactful. They suddenly tiptoed into the issue of the relationship between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani. And Mr. Edlin was in a position to see it both in the workplace and at home. And this is starting to address the issue that the defense may or may not bring up, but was raised in some pretrial motions that Sonny Balwani was an overpowering influence on Elizabeth Holmes and controlled her in a way that she should not be held responsible. And in a few questions, the government started to probe that with Mr. Edlin. Mr. Edlin responded by identifying a very amiable and cordial relationship And at one point even said, if at any time there were disagreements, it appeared that Elizabeth Holmes had the final word on it. Elizabeth Holmes appeared to be the one in control. Overall, Kreitzberg thought Edlin's testimony was effective for the prosecution. He's another witness who clearly is not out to get Elizabeth Holmes. And just like with the Safeway CEO and Walgreens, that makes him a strong witness for the government. He's not trying to get back at her. He's not trying to throw things at her. And ultimately, that makes them effective witnesses for the government. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Defense attorney Kevin Downey kicked off his cross-examination acknowledging that Edlin was a recent college graduate and not an expert in the Theranos technology. I think your major was in public policy, Downey asked. That's right, Edlin replied. Downey tried to show that the technology was ever-changing, and Edlin's lack of experience meant he may not have been aware of all the nuances. Downey showed a series of images depicting the various Theranos devices. 
You didn't have experience in what assay is associated with which device or how they work from an internal perspective. Is that fair? Downey asked. I didn't have expertise, Edlin agreed. Downey went through Edlin's communications with the Department of Defense, pharmaceutical companies, marketing teams, and journalists, trying to make the point that he was sharing information that others had given him and that he had no reason to believe he was misrepresenting the technology. You never took a step on behalf of the company where you thought you were deceiving someone, correct? Downey asked. Correct, Edlin responded. When it came to communications with journalists Joe Rago and Roger Parloff, Downey tried in part to pin this on the fact that Elizabeth had been given media training that may have influenced her statements. He added that others, like lawyers and scientists, were also responsible for providing information to the publications. In general, according to Kreitzberg, the defense's cross-examination sought to reiterate the theme that Dan Edlin, like Elizabeth, was simply passing on information that others had presented to him. What they were doing with Edlin was essentially positioning themselves to argue Elizabeth Holmes was in the same position as Edlin. They both passed on inaccurate information. There's no question that Edlin did it. But they brought out he had no intent to defraud, and they based it on he gathered information from multiple people, from the hardware people, from the assay team, from the scientists. They, he relied on their expertise in order to decide what to put out. And so I think it gives them the ability to argue that without ever putting Elizabeth Holmes on the stand. Finally, when it came to representations to the Department of Defense, Ellen Kreitzberg says the defense tried to show that rather than intentionally misleading the military, Elizabeth was giving representations of what she hoped would come to pass. The defense is probably going to argue that Elizabeth Holmes' representations, while maybe not as precise as they should have been, were really just one step off, that they were moving in that direction, which is very different from saying she knew this couldn't happen and therefore they were out and out material misrepresentations. Remember, if one engages in what in Silicon Valley is often called puffery, just a slight hopeful expectation of what's to come, that's not going to be a criminal offense. So who came out stronger when it came to Edlin's testimony? Kreitzberg believes it was ultimately a win for the government. Overall, it appeared that Mr. Edlin would have been a stronger witness for the government in the respect that he identified the key areas of misrepresentation with the Department of Defense facts, with the use of the website language, with interactions with Elizabeth Holmes directly. The defense did a credible job of at least trying to minimize or contain those issues. At the end of the day, though, the more evidence keeps piling on linking her to these misrepresentations, it makes it hard to keep that containment in any significant way. With Edlin off the stand, the court resumed the following trial date with one last shocking twist. Once again, trouble from the jury pool. Juror number five, a woman in her 30s, was dismissed under mysterious circumstances, the court revealing simply that they had found cause to dismiss her. Later, the cause was revealed. The juror had been seen routinely playing the logic-based puzzle game Sudoku during testimony 
scratching in her numbers as the trial unfolded. I do have Sudoku, but it doesn't interfere with me listening. I'm very fidgety, so I need to do something with my hands, the juror told the judge in his chambers, admitting she played the game seven to 10 days over the course of the proceedings. Judge Davila dismissed her per a request by defense attorney Kevin Downey. The prosecution didn't oppose the decision. She's now the third excused juror in this case. With months left to go in this trial and only two alternates remaining, it's a troubling sign. Next week, we'll hear from Shane Weber, a scientist from Pfizer who evaluated Theranos technology and advised the pharmaceutical giant against partnering with the startup. He'll also tell the court about that supposedly doctored Pfizer document that Theranos showed Walgreens. And we'll hear from Brian Tolbert, whose company invested $7 million in Theranos. His secretly taped clips from an investor call with Elizabeth Holmes entered into evidence for the court to hear. Well, it's wonderful to speak with you all. We've built the business around partnerships with pharmaceutical companies and our contracts with the military. And we are putting a lot of resources into establishing a national footprint as fast as we can. Tune in next Tuesday for that. Elizabeth Holmes and Sunny Balwani did not respond or decline to comment for this podcast. Some material, including court depositions, were edited for clarity and time. The dropout Elizabeth Holmes on trial is written and reported by Victoria Thompson, Taylor Dunn, and Rebecca Jarvis. Victoria is the executive producer, and Taylor and Rebecca are the producers. For ABC Audio, Susie Liu is producer, and Madeline Wood and Marwa Milwaukee are associate producers. Dia Athen and Miles Cohen are our court producers. For ABC's business unit, our associate producer is Victor Ordonez, and our production assistant is Lane Wynn. Mixing and scoring is by Susie Liu and Evan Viola. Evan also composed the music for The Dropout. Our artwork is by Teddy Banks at Chips NY and Cedric Honstadt. For ABC Audio, Liz Alessi is executive producer. Special thanks to Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ian Rosenberg, Eric Avram, and Stacia Dishishku. Be sure to subscribe to The Dropout Podcast. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review. Listen to new episodes every Tuesday. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.